Okay, here we go. Good morning, everybody. We're going to talk about the next uh, piece of information about If by the Spirit. If you'll recall, last week Andy talked about, um, he gave us, what do you call it, six lessons about hearing and connecting with God. Um, He's been talking a lot about Romans 8 and about the parts of Romans 8, about connection, about mindset, and about action. So today, we're going to talk a little bit more about another element of this, and this is a lot of the foundation of freedom prayer. We're going to talk about a parable that Jesus taught and what we gather from that and how it, what it says about God the Father and how He feels about all of us. So just kind of as a review, and this is something that's key, and we've talked about it over and over, but for me, this is really new information that I've learned in my 60s, or I kind of knew it, but it's gone deeper into my heart, and that is this. Jesus appeared to take away sin, but he also appeared to destroy the works of the devil. So we have this event where our sin has been taken away but also to give us freedom in this life as we walk. It's that dailiness of the struggles that I personally have with the devil and his work and how he tries to distract me and how much of a difference that makes. Um, I know when we read this, we think, okay, but this is huge because it's this ongoing event of the death of Christ and His resurrection and how it helps us live in freedom. Now, let's talk a little bit about Jesus and parables. In Matthew 13, the disciples were a little confused and they said, why is it, Lord, that you use these stories? Why do you talk in parables? And He told them very clearly, notice the underline, I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see, And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Parables allow great depth while maintaining simplicity. So think about it. When you hear a story about a sower that sows seed or about a sheep that gets lost, it's quite a simple story, but it can be very profound. The other thing is the Holy Spirit can interpret it individually. So I can hear a parable and make an application about what kind of soil am I, and it can be personalized in a way that just rules and regulations don't quite seem to match. Are any of you the type of people that do well when you hear an analogy? If someone's talking about a concept and you're like, you're not getting it, and they say, okay, it's kind of like, and they tell you a little story, and you're like, I got it. I got it. Um, Here's a story. When my nephew was a little boy, he was probably about four years old, he had a bad habit of playing and getting distracted so he wouldn't come inside and go to the bathroom, and so he'd wet his pants. None of y'all have children who do that, but just assume my nephew is the only one. He used to do that, so he came inside one day, and his pants were wet. And my sister Judy said, Joel, did you wet your pants? And he said, no, ma'am. And she said, okay, I'm, I'm looking at your pants, and they're wet. Nope, I did not wet my pants. And she said, okay, what if I asked Jesus if you wet your pants? What would he say? And Joel paused and said, well, he'd probably say I did, but I didn't. <laughs> okay, so 
You know what, though? <coughs> that little story is exactly what we do in our spiritual life, right? We know what Jesus would say about something, but we've latched onto a lie, and we're going to hang with it. And that's really what this whole chapter in Luke 15 is about, and that is the types of situations in which we find ourselves that often create a lie or a misunderstanding about ourselves or about God and how that affects our lives. And then more than that, what the Father thinks about us when we're in those situations. So we're going to talk about Luke 15 today. It starts out by saying, now all the tax collectors and the, and it has it in quotes, sinners, were coming near to him to listen to him, but the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So what does Jesus do when he hears that accusation? So he tells them a parable. So the setup is this. The scribes and the Pharisees don't like the sinners hanging out. You know, something to me that's so extremely profound is, here is Jesus who was perfect, who was a religious leader, teacher. He's a rabbi. But there was something about his demeanor that drew people to him. Even people who technically would not feel comfortable around religious people, sinners, tax collectors, but they were drawn to him for some reason. So Jesus decides, okay, I'm going to tell a story. And in this story, I'm going to teach a lesson. Now, I have a theory that the whole time he's telling this story, these tax collectors and scribes, I mean these uh, scribes and Pharisees, they know he's talking about them. But he's trying to show them the heart of the Father towards people caught in a struggle or in a sin and also the Father's heart toward them. And what he's about to teach them is pretty close to heretical. It's certainly controversial. It's certainly outside the norm of their expectation in their religious environment. I know a lot of y'all have heard these stories, but we're going to talk about it a little more deeply. A couple of things, too. Jesus, this is one of the parables where he does not say, and this is what the parable means. When he talks about the parable of the sower, he says, and here's what the soil, this soil means this, this soil means that. He does not do that in this particular story. Another thing is, (coughs) excuse me, he says, and he told them this parable. Oftentimes, we've taken the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son, and we've made all these as separate parables, but he says, I told them this parable, so it's one parable with four parts, each telling the same story, just in a different way. So that's something I want for you to keep in mind. And then the bottom line is this. This process of thinking is foundational to freedom prayer. It is not, and y'all have heard us say this, please hear me say it again, freedom prayer is not the only way to connect to the Lord. Not at all. It's one way of thousands. But the deep principles that come from this parable are life-changing. There's just no other way to say it. They're life-changing. So let's dig in. And before we start, let me just go ahead and say, I'm, <laughs> this is a little bit out of order as far as how they are. I'm switching the sheep with the coin. And the reason is there's an acronym that helps us in freedom prayer. And it doesn't work if you do it the other way around. So there you go. <laughs> we, can, hey, we can do it however we want to, right? 
All right, so the first is the lost coin. We have a woman. She's got 10 silver coins. She loses one. And what does she do to find it? What does this passage say she does? Yeah, she turns on a light. And we are fine with baby noises. So you just, you just hear it. Oh, are we? <laughs> About to get louder? Um, she turns on a lamp. She starts to sweep, right? And searches carefully until she finds it. So these details are not accidental. And then when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice, I have found the coin that I have lost. The story of the lost coin has to do with wounding. Did the coin lose itself? No. Inside of the coin itself has value, right? It has value for three reasons. One, it's made out of a precious metal. That has value. Second, it is stamped on it its value. So on a quarter, not only is silver worth something, but it says this is worth 25 cents. And then the third thing that makes it valuable is the image of the king because the coins in that time had the leader of that particular country stamped on it. So it had value, intrinsic value itself. And interestingly, God is represented as a woman here. For any of you who are sexist, I'll just go ahead and say there are a whole lot, a whole lot of analogies in Scripture uh, about a hen gathering up her chicks. There are a lot of things. El Shaddai means nursing mother. If y'all want to sit around, we'll talk about some more. But there are a lot of aspects about women that are important, and a woman is used in this particular parable to represent God because she was nurturing and comforting. This coin was innocent. Through no fault of its own, it was lost. Didn't lose itself. And you notice in the story there was great celebration when it was found. Not only was it found, but it was brought back into the environment with the other nine so that it could belong. All right, so that's what this story is talking about and is describing. The main issue here is a person has received a wound and they've believed a lie because of it. Not anything they did themselves, but something that was done to them. It wasn't their choice. They were innocent. Okay? So here are the things that we would do in freedom prayer or in any, any kind of interaction with this person according to this passage. Identify the pain and the source. And remember, it is not necessarily what happened. It's what they believed about what happened. Dell's testimony is a perfect example of a wound. She was seven years old. She was a child when her stepmother and their family did things to her. That was a wound. But did you see how clearly she described what she began to believe about herself because of that event? That's what we're talking about when we mean a wound. And let me tell you something. Satan is crafty, and he does what he can to separate you from the Lord. And he will use those lies and create that separation. And in her case... And in a lot of cases, it's a wound. The process that you go through, you speak forgiveness sometimes to the person that inflicted the wound, sometimes for yourself, because you have blamed yourself for certain things. 
You exchange the wound, the lies you believe because of the wound with truth that is given to you by the Lord. It creates healing and cleanness. It restores value. Do you get the thing about the coin? When the coin was in the corner, in the dirt, without light, in that dark corner, it did not feel worthy. It did not feel valued. But when it was found and it was brought back to the group, and for the coin, the fact that it was sought out, it was looked for. Let me tell you the one thread that runs through all four of these stories that's so profound, and that is this. A definition of repentance that is allowing yourself to be found by God. You follow me? It is one thing to say, I've messed up. It is another thing to put yourself in the place to be found by a loving Father. So that thread you'll see, and that's what happened here, and that value was restored. And guess what? At the end, there's a party. (laughs) Celebration. Hey, everybody gather around. This has been great. This is good news. The second story that's in here, I don't know, quit going forward here. Well, (laughs) there we go. The second story is about the lost sheep. One of them wandered off. The shepherd leaves to go look for the one that's wandered off. He leaves the 90 and 9. He goes and finds it. Uh, One of the things I love about the detail in this story is it says he lifts it up and places it on his shoulders and then goes back to the flock and it becomes part of the flock again. All right, what do we know about sheep? They're dumb. They're easily distracted. They wander off into danger. They're ignorant. They're enticed by curiosity. They're naive in their rebellion. And before long, they get caught. So it's like they're drawn to this. They are making decisions, but there's an element of innocence or an element of naivete. You're not really thinking clearly when you start in that direction. They don't feel threatened. They feel in control. I got this. I got this. And they're pretty defenseless if you think about predator versus prey. Great, great point. Once they wander outside of that shepherd's protection, they are wide open dinner. That's a great point. And what they, don't, what they don't realize, they feel in control. They don't realize that every decision you make matters starting with the first one, right? So you think, well, I'll make all these decisions, decisions, decisions. They won't matter until I get way out here. So guess what? They soon find themselves way out here. But God, as the shepherd searches, carries them back into the protection of what he offers as the father. <coughs> The main issue here is that it's foolish wandering when I felt in control. It's really the abuse of free will, right? We all have free will, and we can decide to do anything we want to do. But sometimes in that free will, we just make foolish decisions. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. One of the things about the shepherd putting the sheep on his shoulders there's not any shaming there's not any blaming he pretty much takes on the weight himself and says hey 
I'll carry you back over there. I'll carry you there. So that goes back to the sheep being found by the Father and allowing Him to take Him back into the fold. <coughs> Excuse me. Part of the, um, the question here is to figure out what happened, how did I get to this place? What happened, Lord, where I got off track and I wound up being in a place I did not want to be? <coughs> we often start out with, it's not a big deal. I'm going to do this thing, but it's, it's not a big deal. <coughs> Sorry, my... <laughs> Thank you, dear. Is there your rummaging through my purse? Thank you. <laughs> you know what's in there, don't you? I know where the money is. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, back to what Scott just said a minute ago. When he brings the sheep back into the fold, it's not a matter of complete safety where nothing bad ever happens. It's a matter of protection when you stay within the relationship with the Lord and His uh, His protection and His identity and all of the things that the Father provides for us. That's a place where we can feel protected. Remember in the Lord's prayer, I mean in the Psalm 23 when He says, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Things are going to happen all around us, but the protection comes from that relationship of being next to the shepherd. Jeannie, one of the things, too, is we're set up in a lie in our Western culture that says we need to be independent. Okay. And instead of being dependent on God, we feel like we ought to make our own decisions. And when we make our own decisions separate and apart from God, we get in trouble. Yes. And the thing I, one of the things that you and I talked about with this parable is that he didn't set them free from their entanglement and then go back home because they couldn't have found their way back home. Okay. He had to have them carry them or lead them or whatever was necessary. That, that's a great point. Once he entangled them, he carried them back. And that's part of repentance is allowing yourself to be found by the Father and going back into that fold. And that's a great point because it's, it's a wonderful process to watch someone entangled be embraced and allow themselves to be embraced. Jean, and, and playing off of that, when he finds that she can raise it back, my Bible says he joyfully puts it on his shoulder. So going back to that very shame, he's just so excited and happy. He just plays into the party and we receive life. He's just thrilled yes. Yes. that he has you back. Yes. Joyfully. That's interesting that it says he joyfully puts him on his shoulder. Boy, that's a whole different view a lot of us have of the Father, right? We think, okay, he's at least got to fuss at me a little bit and shake his finger at me. And, but you know what? Here's the thing. The lesson was learned by the entanglement. Father doesn't need to berate the sheep and say, well, I hope you learned a lesson because here's what you... He learned it. He's found himself in a mess. But he's allowing himself to be found by the Father. Um, I think about situations, uh, we often deal with teenagers, right? I know when I was in high school and as all our children were in high school, here's the question, how far is too far? Okay, so, y'all, this is embarrassing, but when Mike and I were our age in high school, well, I'm not going to say we did anything, I'm just saying. <laughs> You're giving me a look over there. Like, I mean, I feel safe, but I'm <laughs> 
I remember there was, there was uh, guidance going around that said, as long as you have one foot on the floor, then it doesn't count as going too far. Does anybody see a fallacy in that? <laughs> okay, so that whole thought process is wrong from the very beginning, right? How close do I get to the edge? And we all know that that thought process there's some, there's, you know, teens are naive, right? And they don't think way long term. And before you know it, you are entangled in something that from the very beginning, it never <laughs> occurred to you was going to take you there. That's what this is talking about. And once again, how awesome is it that all of these stories end with a party and with celebration? It's not punitive. You don't throw parties for people you're mad at. You throw parties for people that you love and that you are excited to have relationship with. Now, everybody's aware of the story of the prodigal son. Some call him the lost son. Um, but he's pretty much an example of open rebellion. Just outright, I'm going to do what I want to do and nobody's going to tell me what to do. That's his approach to life. He embarrassed his father. He took the inheritance and he left. You know, these communities were all very close and everybody knew everybody's business. So for this son to do what he did was humiliating to the father. He left. He goes out. He made a decision not to be controlled. He squandered his wealth. You do get the irony there about him feeding the pigs and this story is being told to a group of Jewish people, right? who feeding the pigs would be like the lowest of the low thing that he was doing. And while he was there, the verse says he came to his senses. He thought, wait just a minute. I have created a mess. He returned humbled, although, interestingly in this story, keep in mind, he came back and he was going to cut the father a deal, right? He said, I'm coming back. I'm not worthy to be your son. Can I just be a servant? Because frankly, servants are living better than I'm living right now. So he was coming back with the deal. But what did the father respond with? What did the father think about that deal about, well, you can come in, but you can come in halfway. You can be a servant, but you're certainly not going to be my son. What does the verse say that the father did? As soon as he saw him, he ran to meet him. As soon as he saw that he had come to his senses and was coming out of that lifestyle or decision, he was with, the son was willing to be found by the father. He came walking down that road toward the house. Father sees him. He runs toward him. Notice the sandals, the robe, and the ring are all significant. They all signify the fact that it wasn't a halfway embrace. So which verse in there do you hear the father saying or shaming or condemning or saying something to the son about his behavior? There's not one. There's not one. And he takes him back in and he embraces him with the same relationship of father-son that he had when he left in the first place. So here's the thing. The Father is a source of identity, of provision, and of protection. But in this particular case, 
the father was waiting on the son to come to his senses and come out of that rebellious sin. And as soon as he acknowledged it, the father was there 100%. No halfway. No, well, as soon as you do A, B, and C, then you can be my son. But he took it on fully. The main issue here is just rebellion, thinking you know what's best and sinning against the Father, rebellion against the Father. Let's talk about some examples of what this could be. I think the first thing that we all think about as far as what is rebellion uh, or sin are things that can be done secretly. I think we all would know, okay, well, if you decide you know what, I'm married, but I'm going to find me a new man, and I'm going to do, we'd all be like, okay, that's rebellion, right? But then some things done in secret are a little bit harder. First of all, we usually think about things like uh, pornography or embezzlement of money or those sorts of things. But unless you all start to get the big head thinking, oh, well, that's not me. Anything that you do that is an embarrassment to God by your behavior is sin. In the very same way that the behavior of this son shamed and embarrassed his father in that community by what he decided to do, we do the very same thing every time we decide to behave ourselves in a way that somebody around goes, I thought they claimed to be a Christian. But they are the crankiest neighbor on the street. <laughs> I thought they went to church down here at Otter Creek, but they're the most irritable, difficult coworker I have. I thought they claimed to love God, and they're prejudiced. Do you see how they treat people that are not like them or make comments about people that are disparaging? <clears throat> You know, any time we do anything that embarrasses our father, we're the son. We're this son. And we find ourselves being caught. I read a definition this week of grace. And here, I loved it. It said, grace interrupts the law of sowing and reaping. I've done this thing, and this is what I reap. But when I allow myself to be found by the father in my sin... What do I reap? If it's grace, I'm, He's looking for us. He is standing there looking for us to acknowledge our sin. This isn't only one big thing that we're caught in that's a lifestyle-changing sentinel event. It is our daily things that we know we do that don't please Him or that embarrass Him. And every time we go to Him and say, I've come to my senses, and how I acted today was not becoming to you, Lord. I'm sorry. You know what? He shows up with the sandals and the robe and the ring. He draws us right back in there. So, you can imagine these stories. Let's look at the steps right quick. Comes to its senses, returns to God. Let me tell you something. Confession is a big deal. We, in our culture, have kind of boiled it down to, okay, well, you got to, you know, it depends on where you go to church. You either go down front or you go up front 
or, you know, we all have these phrases, and then when you get up there, you say, well, I said and did some things, but you don't exactly say what you did, or it's something so blatant, everybody in the church already knows what it is before you go up there, or bottom line is this, it's between you and the Father initially to confess, for you to say, I have come to my senses, and I have made a hot mess. Now, you may have consequences, and you may have things that need to be cleaned up, and with the Father... Those things can be done, but confession and repentance are a big deal. Full forgiveness, restored fully, what is there again but a party, right? A party. Then we have the older brother. Keep in mind, go back to what I said at the very beginning. Who is the audience listening to this story primarily? Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders. Do you think they're figuring out that pretty much Jesus is talking to them? Because he's described these situations with these encounters with people, and now he talks about the older brother. The older brother is so angry, he won't even come inside. He stays outside. So the father goes out there to him. (coughs) And the older brother says some pretty harsh things about the father here, doesn't he? What does he say? Yeah. He's basically saying, all these years I've been serving you, I've never neglected, look at that phrase, I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you never even gave me a young goat. So when you kill a calf, a calf, you can feed the whole neighborhood. A goat's kind of a meal for, you know, the family and a few extra people. He's saying, you're doing all this big deal for him, you never even did a goat for me so that I could celebrate with my friends, but then this son of yours shows up who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, and you go make a really big deal out of this. And then the father says three things that are important, three things that this son needed. First of all, he calls him my son. He's saying, we're in relationship. You're still my son. We are in relationship. The second thing he says, he shows intimacy. You have always been with me. There's not been any separation here. You've always been with me. And then the third thing is just generosity. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. So here's a description of the older brother. Well, he's dutiful. And he's high performance, right? I've done every command you've ever given me. But what's his relationship with the Father? He's disconnected, right? He's, he's got all of this at his disposal, but yet he's disconnected because he doesn't see his relationship with the Father as it really is. He sees it differently. He's angry at another's attention from the Father, especially somebody who didn't perform, who didn't do all the commands, who didn't do all the things that I have done. He misunderstood the heart of the Father toward others and toward himself. This is where Jesus is really kind of to those religious leaders. He's like, y'all don't get it. 
You spend all this energy and time following God and you don't even know Him. You don't know His heart. You don't know how He feels about people who have been caught up by something that wasn't their fault or who have just wandered off because they're naive and have gotten entangled in something or even someone who's blatant and has embarrassed the whole family. But when they come back, the heart of the Father is accepting. And even toward you, the Father is accepting. And here's the truth that He tells them about themselves. And this is where we talk about ungodly beliefs. Once again, the Father provides identity, provision, and protection. But here is the thing. You you figure out how has this ungodly belief affected my life? What difference has my believing this affected my life? And you replace those lies with truth. Have y'all noticed an exchange going on all the way through these stories? Once you discover the lie, whether you have a wound because something's been done to you or because you have wandered off and become entangled in something or if you have in just flat-out rebellion pulled yourself away from the Father all the way through, there's been a lie that's been replaced with God's truth. You've got to renounce the lies, embrace the truth, And at the end, what's interesting here is really the father, it's not so much a party for the older son as it is an invitation for the older son to be God to all these others and say, come join the party. Come be me to these people. Come represent me as you interact with people who don't know me. That's really the message to the older son. You're missing out on all the fun. And that is drawing people close to me. I think one of the, the ungodly belief here for the older brother is that if I do good, God, uh, Father will bless me. If, if I'm faithful, if I don't, then He's not going to be loving and faithful. And that was one of the lies I grew up in in my conservative tradition. Yes. That if I obey the laws, the commands, then the people around me will love me. But if I am, if I rebel, in one sense, I'm shunned. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's there's uh, there's punishment before there's grace. That law of sowing and reaping. That's right. Was and I'm not saying necessarily that you, there shouldn't be discipline. That's not my point. Right. My point is, is that there was discipline with the absence of love, um, which made it feel um, rejecting. Yes. I I have to say, when I had my prayer session, this ungodly belief, it was my thing. Because I'm a church girl. Hey, you know, I told y'all before, when I was two weeks old, they hauled me to church, and I've been going ever since. Well, unless I was vomiting or had a documented fever. Those were the two reasons you got to stay home. Otherwise, we were there, always there. But when I did my prayer time, I was so shocked at the deep, inner lying lie that I had believed. We were in the, Mike and I were in the middle of a really difficult ministry time of helping some folks who were really struggling. And I had a lie that said when people don't respond to God or to God's truth, 
then God's disappointed in me because I must have not said it right. You follow me? Instead of, my job's just to love on people, and if it works, great. And if it doesn't, that's between them and the Father. My, jo- my job is just to distribute God's love. But I felt the Father was disappointed in me. Do y'all see any of these stories carry disappointment or shame or rebuffing? or No, the Father's like, in fact, several times in my prayer time, I heard and saw the Father laugh. Like, really? I, you know, he was laughing at me gently. But like, where did you get that? And I realized Sunday school brain knew, oh no, the Father is accepting and loving. But I didn't believe it. I did not believe it. I was grasping on to what the older brother said, and that is, but I've been doing all these commands. I'm, I'm doing the performance. I'm doing the commands, and that's very different than the relationship. Y'all follow me? Those of us who were raised in an environment where we love God and we want to do what's good and right. So remember at the very beginning we talked about the works of the devil, those things being put to death. Okay, so if he can't make us be rebellious and completely denounce God and leave altogether, he'll just distort our interaction with the Lord on a day-to-day basis and think of all the damage he can do there as well, right? But these parables, one after another, after another, after another, are saying the Father is eagerly looking for and open to relationship no matter what has separated you from a relationship with Him, whatever it is. You know, after hearing these stories, if you've been thinking about coming to a Freedom Prayer session, here's what I want you to know. You're somewhere on this list. You're either wounded, or you're entangled, or you have just been rebellious, or... You are in that older brother's seat where, okay, I have a relationship with the Lord, but for some reason I feel a distance, and I don't know why. And the Lord. Hmm? And the Lord. Uh, uh, Any, all combinations of them, all of us, and we always say this in our prayer sessions, hey, let's spin the bottle. We could all go, well, my thing now is this. So it's not like you jump over the threshold into perfection. Whew, what a relief. I don't ever have to think about that again. It is a process. It is a walking. We are human beings. But those lies that ring around on your head that you don't even know are there, once they're identified, it's amazing how the Father wants to give you freedom from those things. Um, Remember, it is a willingness to be found by God. A freedom prayer session means, Lord, I am sitting here wanting to listen to your Holy Spirit. Direct me toward whatever it is I need to get out of the way, to give me freedom so that I can have this relationship with the Father. How precious is it to think He's throwing us all a party? And that we have a robe and a ring and sandals. And that it's He's just so delighted... So delighted, no shame, no condemnation. He is delighted with all of us and so eager. Like you said, he joyfully puts us on his shoulders, so eager for that relationship. Anything else somebody wants to say here? I think we're, oh, I'm three minutes old. I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, I think it's so interesting 
you know, the way that you talked about repentance and the, the desire to have the Father find you. But that's the, the cliffhanger in all of these with the prodigal son, and he was leaving it with them, and he's leaving it with us. Yes. Um, and the thought that I just had, and I'm going to explore this a little bit more, is like we can believe God's truth or the lie. And it goes all the way back to the garden, right? Yeah. To the, the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. Or his ways, and I think that it's a it's a pretty profound way that he ends it, leaving uh, hanging like that. Because yeah. here's who I am. Taste and see. Yeah, yeah, he, he yeah, and this is a cliffhanger, right? Yeah. So it just stops. Right. Okay, here's the older, brother. the older brother. We don't know what happened to the older brother, but you know they knew it was them. Um, it, it's all of. I mean, when I read these, I have that same conviction, total conviction. And I really think the thing about the lie that's the most profound is we don't even realize. I did not realize that I felt like I was disappointing God when that came to my mind, and the Spirit said, "Well, here it is." It so surprised me. It so surprised me. But yet, it was a stumbling block for me. So, anyway. Thanks for your time. Y'all have a great week. Thank you.